We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, let's just get going with Chase Brown. We'll talk a little Ohio State. He's, of course, from 11warriors.com. Chase, appreciate you joining us here today. Yeah, it's good to be back. Um, I can't remember when the last time we spoke was. A little bit before that game last year, but... Yeah, uh, I guess August sometime maybe, right? Yeah, we, we yeah. started we September. started the clock a little bit earlier this time. We're getting some, uh, some good off-season content here. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, you know, it's like... It's this time of year. I'm sure you guys are in the same boat as as we are, trying to to find some different angles to cover that we haven't already covered. You know, right. so well, let's start with Lorenzo Styles. It's been a couple weeks, two or three weeks, I guess, since he left Notre Dame and ultimately decided to join his brother Sonny there in uh, in Columbus at Ohio State. How did that move kind of move the needle there in Buckeye Land? I think a lot of people are excited to have him. Um, not quite sure where he may fit quite yet. Um, as you know, he started at wide receiver for Notre right. Dame. And uh, although he was initially recruited to play cornerback at Ohio State or play, uh, that's where they wanted to put him if he were going to commit there. Um, he hasn't played the position in a couple of years. So it's not as simple as a plug and play quite yet. Um, of course, Jim Knowles' defense is a little bit more uh, complex than the average defensive coordinators may be. So it could take some time for him to get settled into the system, but he's athletic. He's uh, He has great football IQ from what we've seen on tape. Um, so I imagine that he'll probably get his feet wet a little bit on special teams and then find his way maybe into uh, the three deep, Go uh, maybe move into the two deep, depending on how his performances look early in the year. And it was like from our perspective, it's like we didn't get to see a whole lot of practice during the spring. But the second one we were at, all of a sudden, we were a few sessions in and it's like, hold it. Is that Lorenzo Styles over there with the cornerbacks? Is he playing? Yeah. Then he got a live rep, you know, where he's actually defending his receiver. And it's like, wow, the guy's got pretty good form. And then they let us talk to him a couple days later. And, you know, it, it turned into this big sort of flurry and then within a couple days after we talked to him he's transferring back it is kind of odd like you mentioned that he I think part of the reason he came to Notre Dame was to play receiver rather than defensive back and he was going to get an opportunity to play defensive back here and that's essentially 
Exactly. He's kind of right back where he started from, mm -hmm. from a recruiting aspect, you know, like you said, because that's how Ohio State recruited him. Yeah, we haven't spoken to him yet since that move. Um, I wouldn't imagine that there's any ill will between him and the Notre Dame program. I think it just kind of became right. a thing where, you know, Ohio State initially wanted him as a corner. I think the reason that he didn't end up going to Ohio State was because he wanted to be a receiver. Um, and that's what Notre Dame wanted him as. And I think that Notre Dame was probably going to be willing to let him make that switch. Um, but then you kind of have an identity thing where, okay, I came to this school to be a wide receiver. If I, if I transition to cornerback, do I find my place? If I don't, do I get lost in the mix? Mm -hmm. um, Ohio State has had a few instances, uh, position changes where that's worked, like Steel Chambers switched from running back to linebacker, uh, Chip Tranum was a running back, then a linebacker, and then back to running back, um, and now has found his home there. Um, so it's it's worked here in Columbus. I'm not so sure how how often that happens over in South Bend, but I think maybe there's an there's a idea for Lorenzo that he is able to go to a place that initially wanted him to play a specific role. Now he's with this team in this program. Maybe he sees the writing on the wall. He sees where they want him to be, and he he's going to capture it here. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's anything really that that was inhibiting him from uh, being a defensive back in Notre Dame, but maybe just feels more comfortable here in sure. Columbus. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know they added a couple other Ohio state added a couple other transfers as well. And it sounds like, are they over the scholarship limit right now? Slash I've heard he might have to be essentially a walk-on this year without a scholarship. Have you heard anything on that? Yeah, we're still trying to figure out exactly what that will look like because we've been doing the same sort of math. Okay, <laughs> they have more scholarship players than the limit of 85. Are there going to be players that transfer out? Are there going to be players who uh, take a medical red shirt that, that drop that number? Um, or will Lorenzo Styles or one of these incoming transfers have to start as a walk-on until one of those spots open up? Uh, there's definitely a lot of confusion around that here in Columbus, and we're kind of trying to wonder uh, or trying to piece together the puzzle a little bit. And, um, you know, we'd love to be a fly on the wall in the in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center to, to know sure. what those conversations look like. Absolutely. So the other end of the spectrum is Notre Dame, of course, got Javante John Baptiste from Ohio State. He transferred over at semester as a grad transfer. He was a four-star recruit out of high school, didn't necessarily have a lot of production, I guess, in his, in his time there. What what kind of expectations maybe were on Jean-Baptiste when he, when he got to Ohio State out of high school? I think Ohio State um, viewed him as a depth piece um, initially, and then he kind of butted into a player that was starting to, to really capitalize on the athleticism and the strength that he gained in Mickey Marotti's program um, and just working under the tutelage of Larry Johnson. Um, so he, he kind of became a fine piece opposite of Zach Harrison on the defensive line. In a very similar instance or similar kind of story with Lorenzo Styles, I think Baptiste probably just found himself in a position where he has younger guys that were below him that Ohio State was excited about getting on the field. And I think it's probably one of those times where Ohio State's coaching staff had a difficult conversation with him and said, hey, look, we we have JT Tuimoloau. 
We have Jack Sawyer. These guys were two top five overall recruits and they're recruiting classes, depending on what service you look at. And we want to get them on the field. So if you stay here, you're going to play, but you're probably not going to play as much as you are familiar with or that you were accustomed to in years past. Right. Um, so I believe it was probably one of those things. Again, too, looking at the scholarship numbers, uh, Ohio State probably also had that in the back of their minds, too, when having that conversation, uh, needing to get that number lower to bring in new transfers. Um, you don't necessarily want to keep a guy around that might not be uh, able to have the amount of opportunities that he used to, um, limiting production that in, it, in an overall sense wasn't as great as maybe they were expecting. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame has kind of had some similar attrition this spring themselves with you know, some of those conversations. I And, you know, like, I, I know fans can, you know, panic, whatever, when you start seeing some transfers. But I think as, as you can attest to, the more successful you are and the more, you know, highly you continue to recruit, the more you're going to have guys leave from time to time for the very reasons that you're talking about. Yeah, Ohio State's transfer strategy has really taken a change, a 180 of sorts, this offseason where in years past, while the transfer portal was becoming a more popular route for the top programs to build their teams to round out their rosters, Ohio State kind of took a backseat role 
Um, the player I, I always think of is Eli Ricks, uh, the cornerback that was transferring from LSU. Ohio State was in on him, and then all of a sudden was out. Like in a matter of a couple of days, Ohio State was interested, and then they backed out, and it was later reported that they didn't want to disrupt the harmony of their room. Uh, he, Eli Ricks ends up at Alabama, and Ohio State uh, keeps their guys. But then eventually, you know, Legend Cavazos transfers to North Carolina. Ryan Watts transfers to Texas. Right. Um, all those guys ended up leaving anyway, and Ohio State was left with nothing. Um, <laughs> and then the pass defense ends up being a weakness this past season, um, as it had been in years past. So I think Ohio State has kind of adopted the mentality of, okay, we want to keep our roster um, as peaceful as possible. We want to keep the guys in the locker room happy. I think they would like to recruit guys that eventually become starters. But if that's not the case, and if a position has need, then the transfer portal needs to be a place that they go to find talent. And so they've done that this offseason with Davison Agbinison of uh, Ole Miss, with Tywon Malone of Ole Miss, um, and Jihad Carter from Syracuse, uh, and then also Lorenzo Styles from Notre Dame. Right. So uh, I guess the biggest question, maybe I've buried this a little bit, but you know, no more CJ Stroud. And mm-hmm. obviously that means a new quarterback now for Ohio State. And I know Devin Brown missed the spring game. Uh, sounded like Kyle McCord kind of had an up and down spring game. So when when you look at that heading into the summer, do, is there a clear-cut front runner or what's the what's the status on the quarterback position right now? Yeah, I think the the mindset that most people have held to this point in the year has been that Kyle McCord has just a little bit of a head start on Devin Brown. Um, McCord has been in the system for two years. He was CJ Stroud's primary backup for both of those years. Um, and although Devin Brown arrived last year uh, as a four-star quarterback with plenty of talent, he didn't really get as many opportunities as McCord did in those backup scenarios. I believe he actually hasn't thrown a pass. If he has, it's only been one or two. And I, and I'm not sure if they were really, uh, the kinds of passes that are trademark ones. They were more so dink and duck kind of passes, um, if he did record those, but yeah, I, I think that McCord is in a position where he's a little bit ahead of Devin Brown, but as we watched in the spring, I don't necessarily know if McCord did anything that gave him the job outright. Um, the, the practices that we watched, neither quarterback was particularly impressive. Um, within that, I would say McCord didn't do enough to take the job outright, but then also Devin Brown didn't do enough to, really create much buzz around the idea that he would then uh, take the job either. So I do think that there is still very much a competition that's alive. McCord's probably the front runner, um, but Brown has some work to do if he wants to to take that away. I mean, considering the track record they've got, the, the last two quarterbacks, Fields and Stroud, have both gone at the top of the NFL draft. I mean, is there any real concern there is there enough confidence because of the way they've developed guys coming out of that system that it's it's just a matter of time things will be okay ultimately I think that that idea is probably still true with Ohio State Um, the knock on Justin Fields and CJ Stroud in the draft process even Dwayne Haskins too was oh Ohio State's receivers are always so wide open right Um, these quarterbacks never have to make a difficult throw how how good really are these guys 
Um, I think that statement, that idea is going to be the most true this year um, with McCord and with Brown. Like I do think that Justin Fields and CJ Stroud were both extremely talented quarterbacks that made their wide receivers look as good, if not better as they did for them. Yeah. Uh, but with McCord and Brown, they don't need to be excellent. They don't need to be elite. You have Marvin Harrison Jr. who could potentially be the number one overall pick in the draft. Yeah. Um, that may be a stretch, but you know, top top <laughs> two, wise. top three, yeah. top four, yeah. top five. Uh, and Emeka Ibuka is right behind him. Um, and then you also have a guy, Julian Fleming, was the number one wide receiver recruit in the 2020 class. Um, and then you have so much depth there. You have a great running back room with Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams and Evan Pryor and Chip Trainum and Dallin Hayden. Like, there's so many names that are going to be surrounding these guys as talent, as skill position players that they don't really need to be great for, for Ohio State to be successful this season. Um, the real question, and I know you'll probably ask me about this, is can the offensive line protect them? That's going to be the number one thing for them. If they have protection and make those throws, then I think Ohio State will be will be fine. Well, yeah, and obviously they lose their best offensive lineman in, in Paris Johnson to the draft, and it seems like after quarterback, that it, is that the biggest question that they've got is just, you know, who's going to be able to, are they going to be able to protect the quarterback, what that's going to look like? Absolutely. I would honestly put that as the number one question right now, because okay. if Ohio State doesn't have a good offensive line, it doesn't matter if McCord or Brown is back there, they're going to be fighting for their lives every play. Um, if they do have a good offensive line, then either McCord or Brown will succeed. Um, it's just a matter of how well do each of those players mesh with the others around them. Um, that chemistry, that leadership is what Ryan Day is really looking for out of those guys. How can they lead the offense? How can they show toughness? Um, it's hard to do that when you're sitting on your butt at the end of every play. I mean, <laughs> you're unless you're Joe Burrow and you're playing for the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, there's not very many players in the world that can withstand constantly running around the, the, the backfield for their lives um, and making good throws. But yeah, Ohio State lost Paris Johnson Jr. They lost to Juan Jones. Um, the most surprising was losing Luke Whipler, the center, um, because that takes your returning offensive line room from three with Whipler, Donovan Jackson, and Matt Jones down to two. So now you're working in three new offensive linemen at left tackle, at center, and at right tackle. Um, and they're trying to figure out which guys will fit those molds, which guys will, um, in a similar way to McCord and Brown's competition, who's going to, who's going to show toughness, who's going to show leadership, who's going to step in front and really take control and take the reins of that job. Um, they feel pretty good about Josh Simmons, the transfer from San Diego state that just came in. Um, he'll probably compete for the right tackle job with Tegra Shabola. And then on the left tackle side, you have Josh Fryer competing with Zen Maholsky. Um, so you're looking at those two spots um, as, you know, who's ahead, who's not. Josh Simmons is new in the system, so maybe Shibola has a little bit of a head start. And Josh Fryer has been in the, year, or in the program for a couple of years longer than Maholsky. Um, so you're just looking at these position battles, and you don't really know who's, who's ahead right now. But um, they're definitely looking at that position room each and every day, hoping that the right five can come together. I'm curious, you you said earlier something about the practices that you were able to see 
in the spring. Like we got two full practices and then we got little five period snippets at the start of mm -hmm. practice. What was your spring availability like in terms of practice? Those five periods are great, aren't they? They, just, <laughs> they stretch. That's one way to put it. <laughs> they, <laughs> you get to see them stretch for like yeah. five minutes and then you get to see them do their individual drills and mm -hmm. you never get to see any of the good stuff. I think a lot of people no. have the, mis the misperception that the fans, the, our readers, our listeners are like, oh, you get to go to practice. It must be awesome. But honestly, most of the time, it's not that fun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the stuff that we did get to Tracking see. Tracking who's um, there and who's not right, there. Like right. that's the biggest sport. Yeah. Of it. <laughs> We're sitting with our notebooks. We're like, oh, he's, he's over there. He's wearing this number this year. He's wearing this number. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, with, with the practices that we did get to see um, at length, there were a few this year, which was surprising. Um, but the ones that we did get to see, we weren't exactly allowed to report the specifics on. Okay. Um, but we were able to just take our observations and then report on them that way, if that, if that makes sense. And but so I, I, think I like, you know, again, like based on what we get, I would take that, you know, like if they would give us more and just say, you, you know, you can't, you can't talk about specifics, but you can give some generalities, I guess. So yeah, at least you have things to base, you know, your opinions on. Right. And that has been helpful. Um, yeah. As I mentioned with. Some of the quarterback stuff um, with also now I haven't really talked about Ohio State's defense, which was probably the talk of the program in those final two games with Michigan and with Georgia. Mm -hmm. um, those defensive lapses, those explosive plays that they allowed um, from everything that we watched. It seemed like, you know, one day the offense had the had the better of the defense. And then the next day the defense had the better of the offense kind of trading back and forth. In that whole time, there there weren't really a group of players aside from a handful that really were standing out consistently, um, and that involves the quarterback play with Kyle McCord and with Devin Brown. They made good throws here and there. I don't want to say entirely that they were awful. They weren't, but it wasn't the consistency and the the – just overall, I mean, just C.J. Stroud was so elite with his ball placement, with his accuracy. There was never a question that when he wind, wound up to throw the football that it was getting to his receiver. There were times where you're watching McCord and, and Brown, and you're like, oh, I don't know, like this may get tipped, this may get intercepted. And that's that's to be expected, right? C.J. Stroud was the number two overall pick in the draft. Mm -hmm. We're not we're not throwing those expectations on McCord or Brown. Um but at the same time, we got to watch a lot of the offense play. Um, Chip Trainum looked great. Carnell Tate was a name that popped up a ton in spring ball That just because we got to see him so frequently. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. was there um, with his greatness. And the defensive side looked pretty good as well. The defensive line with JT2, Moloau, and Jack Sawyer, as I mentioned, and um, Denzel Burke and Davison and Benson looked really good in the, the secondary too. That you mentioned the defense, and I did want to ask you about that. Jim Knowles, you know, obviously brought him over from Oklahoma State, and that was supposed to be sort of a a big difference maker for Ohio State. And as you well know, it's like you can win against you know all the. I was about to say Indiana; they've been at least a little better the last few years, but you, you know what I'm saying—the Marylands and the Rutgers and whoever else, but everyone's season basically boils down to 
two or three games. And you mm-hmm. mentioned the, the games that it came down to. So based on that, was was Jim Knowles' first season a success or, or where does he stand right now? That's a great question. Um, it, it depends on who you talk to. Uh, I think okay. that most Ohio State fans would agree that his performance in his first season was a success until it wasn't. Um, <laughs> you know, the first 11 weeks, Ohio State's defense ranked in the top 10 in almost every measurable category across the FBS. But then in the Michigan game, it all kind of fell apart. And then against right. Georgia, they looked really good at the beginning, and then it all kind of fell apart. And so I think that when Ohio State gets what they call matchup games, Knowles and his defense needs to be better from start to finish. Um, it's okay. It's fine. As, as you're mentioning, beaten up on Indiana and Maryland and Rutgers. Um, but those games aren't what define Ohio State's season. There's, you know, once every couple of years where those, those games can cost Ohio State a season. You know, they lose to Purdue every once in a while or Iowa, Michigan State. But by and large, every season is going to come down to Penn State, going to come down to Michigan and then it'll be in the postseason in the college football playoff and so I think that you see the pieces you see what Ohio State did well under Jim Knowles in the first season they they got pressure on the quarterback Um, their defensive tackles played extremely well allowing Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers to shoot gaps and collect a ton of tackles Um, and their safety play for most of the year again was Exceptional. Lathan Ransom was a Jim Thorpe Award semifinalist. Um, Josh Proctor started the year in a little bit of a rough spot, but found his way back a little bit. Uh, Tanner McAllister was was um, one of probably the most integral pieces of that defense at the nickel safety. Um, so you have a couple of pieces that are moving and shifting now heading into 2023, um, but still a lot of the same returners. You have Tui Moloau, Sawyer, uh, I mean, Eichenberg will be back with still Chambers um, up the middle. Mike Hall, who I know that Notre Dame fans are very familiar with Mike Hall mm-hmm. up the middle. Um, and Tyleek Williams next to him, the safeties. We'll see if Sonny Styles can find his way on the field. Uh, Lathan Ransom will be back. Jihad Carter, Cam Martinez. There's lots of names with lots of talent. And I think that Jim Knowles, with his system, with the amount of talent that Ohio State has on that defensive side, should continue to increase in its it i guess what we what we really see is how will ohio state fans view it how will it be viewed on the national perspective he should continue to increase in popularity in columbus and in the national scale but it'll all come down to that game on november 25th at michigan (laughs) if you know it should we'll see ohio state probably show up in that top 10 top 25 range but it doesn't matter if they lose to Michigan. They have to beat Michigan or he'll be seen as, um, I guess, maybe a failure, but as Ohio State fans may put put it harshly, even in the second yeah. season. That's life, I guess, right? And the spotlight. But I did see that his hybrid linebacker, the Jack linebacker, he calls it, that was like I've, I've read some stuff like that was is, – is he going to scrap that this year? Is he going to stay with that? Where – where is he with, uh, I, you know, I guess that aspect? He didn't use it very much, if at all, in the spring um, okay. from what we saw. 
Uh, that doesn't mean it won't show back up in the fall. I will say that. I know that they have a couple of guys that they may experiment at that position. Um, Mitch Melton was a player that was hurt all of last season with a torn ACL. But before, in, in spring ball, when Knowles came in, Melton was projecting to be that jack position for Ohio State. Um, once he went down in the spring game, Knowles threw Jack Sawyer over there. Um, but now Sawyer is firmly a hand-in-the-dirt edge rusher coming as the defensive end. Um, but Melton then is back healthy, so he could slide into that jack spot with Eichenberg and Chambers and even Cody Simon as your three linebackers. They really want to find a way to get C.J. Hicks on the field. Um, he was their five-star linebacker in the 2022 class. Um, the jack position could be an area for him there. Um, maybe even an experiment if they really want to go crazy with it, put Sonny Styles there as a guy that gets close to the line of scrimmage. He's huge. He's six, four. I mean, he's 19 years old and he looks like right. he's a 25 year old three-year vet in the NFL. <laughs> um, he's that big, he's that athletic. So I think that they'll find ways to, to give that position some light here in 2023, but it won't be as frequent as it was last year. I just think they're they're kind of going back to the basics a little bit to maybe give Ohio State's defensive players less to think about, less to make their head spin. Like just go out and play football. You have the talent. You you can go find the, the results without all this, um, with all without all these formations and things to to really confuse them. You know, so we were just talking about with with Knowles and and the defense, essentially the outcome of the Michigan game and whatever happens at the playoff being the lasting memory, like what people think of you. And Ryan Day, I mean, what he's going into year five now. I think he's lost what six games total, mm-hmm. but he's lost the last two to uh, to those guys in maize and blue up north. So, like, is is the hot seat talk? Is it is it real? Like where where are they with Ryan Day right now? Personally, I I don't think that it is. Um, at least not right now. I don't know if you saw it, the Toledo Blade had an interview with Kirk Herbstreet and Jim Tressel um, over the last couple of days, and I'll Kirk Herbstreet was calling those Ohio State fans that want Ryan Day fired right now part of the fifteen percent. Um, that there's 85% of Ohio state fans that see, uh, see everything clearly that he says, have a brain, (laughs) which I found very funny. Oh boy. Um, The other 15, yeah, it's kind of hot water for him. Uh, the other 15% are the ones that are just never happy. The ones that, you know, Ohio state could beat Michigan next year, but then lose in the college football playoff. And those fans would still be upset. They're just looking for a way to be upset. Yeah. Um, and I know Ohio State has lost back-to-back games to Michigan. It hasn't happened in a long time. A lot of the fans that may be calling for his job right now are very familiar with the John Cooper era when losses to Michigan happened almost every year. Um, so I think that that's kind of in the back of people's minds with Ryan Day. Um, but although it, it just probably isn't a fair assessment of his performance as Ohio State's head coach to just chalk it up to, okay, back-to-back losses to Michigan, you're out. Uh, you said it, 45 wins, his win percentage, I believe, um, although he doesn't qualify under most lists, is the best out of any head coach in college football. Um, <laughs> 45 and six, like that's an incredible record. Um, yeah. 
in, in Columbus. I mean, it, really, any program in college football would take that kind of production over a four-year period. But at Ohio State, there it comes down to these games, these matchup games. So right. I do think that the seat would get a little hot if Ohio State loses to Michigan for a third consecutive time. That hasn't happened since the John Cooper era. I believe it was 95, 96, and 97 that they lost three in a row. And then you're, then you're really talking about, okay, is Ryan Day the guy for this job? For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's hard to imagine that Michigan-Ohio State rivalry being any more intense, but like when you look at, at how the Buckeyes had dominated that series for the better part of 20 years, but now, again, they've lost the last two. Like, has it, mm -hmm. has it kind of taken it? To a couple, you know, to a different level in terms of what Ohio State Cornet kind of thinks of it right now. Yeah. And as hard as this may be for Ohio State fans to hear, it's not a rivalry if the Buckeyes win every year, right? right? You have to have something to play for, something to fight for. And I'm not very old. I, I've seen Ohio State beat or Ohio State lose to Michigan four times in my life. It just hasn't happened. Yeah. Uh, Ohio State has always beaten Michigan. But there is a part of it that eventually it gets to the point where Ohio State beating Michigan just isn't as significant if, for the better part of two decades, Ohio State wins all the time. And so what this this back-to-back -back wins for Michigan have done for, for Ohio State fans, I believe, is remind Ohio State fans of what this rivalry really means and how good it feels to win the rivalry, um, how good it feels to beat your rival, whether it's at home or on the road and get to brag about that for another 12 months. Um, and Ohio state fans maybe took for granted what that felt like after winning, having their team win for 20 years. Um, and so now if Ohio state wins in 2023, you better believe there's going to be some gloating. There's going to be some social media presence from Ohio State fans going all over the Michigan social media accounts and using that as fire and fuel for the rest of 2023 and into 2024. Real quick, I wanted to ask you, a year from now, USC and UCLA, of course, come into the Big Ten. Like, what's the what's what's the vibe? Are, are fans excited about it? Are you excited? But you know, like, is the media excited to kind of have this this new? this newness in the conference what's what's the vibe around it right now yeah it's gonna be gonna be interesting um ohio state has been very clear in recent years that it's looking for other programs to help it carry water in the big 10 in terms of these big name schools mm -hmm. and what's funny is michigan is now carrying the water and ohio state fans don't like it <laughs> um <true>. but <laughs> ohio state has always wanted programs beyond Michigan, beyond Penn State to really be the wow factor of the conference so that it doesn't have to always carry the burden of being the number one team at the top of the 
the totem pole in, in all sports. Um, that's what their goal is. And I think that they're looking forward to having matchups with a, a school like USC, with a school like UCLA in football and in basketball, but in also the Olympic sports too, like USC and UCLA carry um, great programs from top to bottom. And so I think that everybody here is excited about it and excited about the opportunity to, to see the Big Ten expand. Um, so I guess I have a question for you. Like, when is Notre Dame coming along? Are we, are, are we I think that's probably the, the next school in mind that Ohio State fans have. To, if, if there ever were going to be expansion again, which yeah. it happened already, so it probably is going to happen soon. Is well, Notre Dame always going to be on this island, or are they going to join a conference sooner or later? I mean, I, I think if if they have their way, they're going to be on this. But, you yeah. know, we've been talking about it with all this stuff going on in the ACC this week. And, you know, they've got, I think it's two more years left on the NBC deal. And I think between, well, you know, they've, they've got their apparel deal that's coming up, and then the TV contract is going to be the big one. And that's... I think that what they get out of that is going to go a long way. And what happens in the ACC ultimately is going to go mm-hmm. a long way. Cause like we were talking yesterday about what are some other options if the, if the ACC implodes, like would Notre Dame, you know, would they, would they entertain say the same kind of arrangement with the big 12 that they've got with the ACC. And I think that that would be favorable. And like, of course the big 10 stuff comes up, but Looking at it just like from people I've talked to and and just bigger picture, I think the only way they get into the Big Ten, like the only way the Big Ten wants Notre Dame is if football is included, don't Mm -hmm. you? Like, I don't think that the Big Ten is going to entertain the same kind of arrangement that Notre Dame has with the ACC, do you? Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. I think that Ohio State um, and Michigan and Penn State and USC, like you keep going down the list of like, okay, Notre Dame has played all of these schools rather consistently, save for Penn State, probably. Right. Um, I think the agreement there would would almost certainly need football to be involved. Um, that is, if if Notre Dame wants a full cut of the media rights that the Big Ten just signed away to NBC and Fox and CBS and yeah, all those. I mean, they could maybe make it work, but. I don't know if, if the Big Ten schools want to share a cut of that revenue if they're not going to get the primetime football matchups. From what I understand, you know, and what what makes this new NBC Big Ten primetime deal sort of intriguing as well is maybe maybe you you could get some more crossover with with Notre mm-hmm. Dame and some of these Big Ten schools involved because then Notre Dame gets to broadcast or not Notre Dame NBC gets to broadcast all of them, you know, so like how, right. how much that affects some of the non-conference scheduling and stuff like that. But I still think it's going to be tougher for the big 10 adding USC and UCLA and just what they're going to do with their, it, it seems like it's going to be tougher for Notre Dame to get some of the, whether it's the big 10 or the sec to schedule some of these teams, it, you know, if they do remain independent, just because there's, so many like they're adding conference games mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, so it, I don't know. It, it seems like the Big Ten, though it maybe won't be this harsh if it really wanted to, could get to the point where either you join or we're not scheduling you. 
right? Like we right. have your USC rivalry. Put their foot down. Yeah. We have your old rivalry with with Michigan. We have a big time game that you could schedule with Ohio State, but no more. Like we're not going to schedule you. Good luck trying to find to find games to fill your schedule with without these premier teams. Um, so either join us or we're cutting you off. And that could right. be a possibility. I don't again, I don't know if the Big Ten will be that harsh, but um you never know. Like there's this is a cutthroat business when it comes up from the top bottom with how much money these media rights Absolutely. deals are 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 starting to be valued at. Um, Notre Dame is a valuable asset to the Big Ten. Um, and especially as the SEC continues to add these premier programs, the Big Ten's going to want to measure up because they don't want to get left behind, as we're seeing exactly. with the ACC and the Pac-12 and the Big 12. All these conferences are just are doing their best to just stay alive. Um, <laughs> I know. Although the Big Ten is ahead of the other three, it's not where the SEC is compared. Um, so I think that adding Notre Dame would definitely bolster bolster their strength. Yeah, I, it, from what I think what was last reported last fall sometime, the Big Ten does have a Notre Dame provision in that mm-hmm. TV contract. Like they would be willing to add Notre Dame. So I, so I just think it's going to come down to whether or not Notre Dame is is able to at least get in the ballpark of what the Big Ten and and what the SEC are making in that TV revenue yeah. in terms of their long term independence or or whether they do. If they if they're not, I think the Big Ten is the logical step for them. Yeah, so. that's definitely how it seems. Uh, I think that they fit the Big Ten mold. Yeah, um, from an academic and having USC and UCLA in there, I think makes sense as well. If if You're you right. know if Notre Dame is able to keep them, you know at least keep USC on their schedule, and maybe maybe they replace Stanford with UCLA as as an alternate. Right. Yeah. If there is going to be future expansion and it doesn't involve Notre Dame, I do think that the Big Ten heads in the direction of a Stanford, um, a Washington. Um, they may, given that there was so, it's such a convoluted process getting US, or getting UCLA there because of that UC <laughs> Board of Regents. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have to add Cal Berkeley or one of those other Cal schools. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I think that that will be a very big talking point as the Ohio State and Notre Dame game approaches given how the rest of this summer has is shaping up with um, all these schools transitioning over to new conferences or, um, you know, pledging or committing them, their, their programs to become a part of new conferences in the future. Absolutely. Chase, I appreciate your time today. Chase Brown from 11warriors.com. You can check out all of his Ohio State writings there and uh, plenty of other stuff on the, on uh, 11warriors.com. Have a great rest of your summer. Thanks again for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Talk to you soon. All right, sounds good.